You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I didn't want to be just a ball player. I didn't want to be just a, a guy every day go out and do the same thing other guys did. I tried to create things. One of those was the hat, the basket catch. Baseball Hall of Famer Willie Mays. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. It's September 29th, and on this date in 1954... A young ball player made a name for himself with a defensive play that remains legendary to this day. It was the first game of the 1954 World Series between the National League champion New York Giants and the American League champion Cleveland Indians. Playing center field for the Giants that day was the young Willie Mays. In the eighth inning of a tie game, Cleveland's Vic Wirtz came to the plate. He lofted a fly ball to deep center field. On the run, Willie Mays, with his back to the infield, reached up over his shoulder and made the catch. There's a long drive, way back in center field, way back, back, it is. Willie Mays just brought this crowd to his feet with a catch, which must have been an optical illusion to a lot of people. The play was so amazing that to this day, it's still usually only referred to as the catch. In the years that followed, Willie Mays established himself as a genuine superstar, not only for his ability to hit home run after home run, but also his speed on the bases. He was so speedy he ran out from under his cap. Well, more on that in the interview you're about to hear. In 1988, Willie Mays, long after he'd retired, finally wrote his autobiography. And that's when I had the chance to meet the Say Hey Kid. Now, first, a couple of pieces of context. You'll hear references in this interview to Willie Mays being banned from baseball. What? Yeah, a few years after he retired, Willie Mays was banned by the commissioner because he'd signed with an Atlantic City casino to be a greeter and autograph signer. He was eventually reinstated to baseball, though. Also, in 1988, when we did this interview, the Baltimore Orioles were in the midst of a horrible losing streak under manager Frank Robinson, a friend of Willie Mays. And the third thing you'll hear referenced in this interview, we talked just a few weeks before the first ever night game at Wrigley Field. The historic first ever night game at Wrigley Field. So we'll talk about that. So here now, from 1988, Willie Mays. Is being a legend a burden? I mean, when you walked in here, mm -hmm. from the moment you walked in the door, people are crowding around you. They want your mm -hmm. autograph. They want you to sign this. They want to say hello to the, mm -hmm. to the say hey kid. Oh, they, yeah, they, wanna, yeah. they want a little piece of you. Does that, mm -hmm. get, does that bug you sometimes? I've learned when I was about 14 or 15 that my life never was my own. Uh, is, uh, this may sound kind of strange. We have about maybe five to ten people in the world that the people say, hey, I own. I go with a Redford, I go with myself, or maybe a Aaron, maybe not so much, uh, Mallory Monroe when she was alive, uh, Ali, if I, if I may put him in there. Uh, we have a lot of people that the, the public own, and luckily I'm one of those guys, and uh, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful feeling. Of course, you get tired just like anybody else, but they don't know that. And they don't want to hear that because they own you. And once you come outside of your door, uh, you have to provide 
whatever they want, and I am aware of all that. Uh, like today, I uh, I'm a little tired because I stayed up uh, all night, you know, doing doing Larry's show, which was a wonderful type of uh, event that I did. But of course, when you get up the next morning, at eight o'clock, you your body say, hey, let's give it a little more rest. But those things are the only problem that I have as far as my body and myself is concerned. Other than that. Hey, I'm out here just for the public. Judging by the questions you were getting last night, it sounded to me like people, like two things. First of all, people expected you to be an expert on every phase of the Giants from the moment you <laughs> entered until the moment you left. Mm. But the second thing that struck me was, you are. You, <laughs> everything mm. they asked, you answered. Well, I knew I know baseball very well, and I studied baseball. When I was playing, that was one of my jobs, is uh, uh, not to just study the Giants. I'm talking about the opposition. Uh, the key to playing baseball is not just going on the field, hitting the ball and throwing it. Uh, it goes a little more deeply than that, I think. You, I had to study every team that came in so that for myself, I could play. I had no problem with me, but I had a problem with the other eight guys on the club telling them what to do, and that's why I had to study baseball and know, what's, you know what was going on daily. And people sometimes doesn't realize that uh, uh, this all goes on on one ball club. It doesn't go on on every ball club now because you don't have a guy that want to do all these things. And you have to be very, very delicated to do this. And when you're dedicated to do it, you have to study. You have to make sure that you know each guy. I knew all his background. I'm talking about my players first. I knew all the background, their home life, and what they do, and all that kind of junk. Then I can teach them as far as baseball is concerned. But I had to learn all that. Does a winning team in any sport need someone on the team who assumes the role of leader, someone who will, who will rally the guys when they're down? No, a losing team needs to have a rally. You show me a winning team, you see no problems. You show me a losing team, you see all kinds of problems because everybody's trying to accuse everybody. They want to throw the, the, the ball around to something about else. But when you have a winning team, you have 24, 25 happy guys daily. And, and uh, any team you pick, any team you want, and I can tell you just about what is going on, and I can tell you there is a problem there somewhere. It may not be a big problem, but it, it is, could be a problem there sometime. Frank Robinson must have a handful right now. <laughs> no, no, let me tell you something. This going to make Frank Robinson uh, a little better manager. Frank Robinson have mellowed a little bit. Frank Robinson, and I have been watching him for the last month or so, and the reason I haven't called and congratulated him because he's done a, to me now, he's done a real good job as far as holding himself together. And this is going to make him a manager. Frank Robinson uh, uh, was a very hard guy before he started managing this club this year. He would do, do everything he wanted to do. Do it my way, I don't do it. This will teach him that, hey, Regardless of who you are, or who, what kind of manager you are, if you don't have the horses on the field, you can't win. And I think this is going to help him tremendous. You know, in the last year, there's been, ever since the Al Campanis remarks on mm -hmm. Nightline, there's been a resurgence now of people are talking again about racism in baseball. Is there racism today in the major leagues? I think that's racism anywhere you're talking about, even in this business you're talking about. 
they got that everywhere. You don't have to just pick one sport. Uh, you don't have to pick uh, b- baseball. You can go to basketball. Al- although basketball is on the other swing, they're looking for whites <laughs> instead of blacks. You know, so I think uh, when you talk that way, it's all, it, that's going to always be there. Uh, but you can, it's always a way of trying to sell it. Uh, Campanus, I couldn't have made a mistake in saying what he had to say, and I don't really know what he said, but they, they tell me what he said, so I don't get involved in that. That's, that's not my thing, you know, and I think the commission did a, a real, real good thing by bringing him back because if he did make a mistake in saying something wrong, he's going to do double good as far as trying to replace that whatever he did wrong. So uh, when people say, well, then why would bring him back? I said, bring him back. I said, let him do what he have to do. The man is 70-some years old. Or how long can he live now? But I think he's going to try and, you know, make up for what it, you know, mistake he made. When you were running and your hat flew off your head, mm-hmm. you ran out from under your hat. I thought, boy, he's fast. No, I wasn't. There was a lot of guys faster than I, you know. But let me explain the reason for that. That was entertainment. It's like a guy, uh, I say, he, he does a step and he does it different, differently from certain other people. I myself wanted to do other things. I didn't want to be just a ball player. I didn't want to be just a, a guy every day go out and do the same thing other guys did. I, I wanted to be something special for the fans, and I was a creative and I tried to create things all the time. And uh, uh, one of those was the hat, the basket catch, uh, uh, running the base, uh, maybe hitting a home run or something. I didn't want to do just everything the same. I wanted to do it different daily. Who in the major leagues today do you see some of yourself in? You look at them. You, some uh, of myself? Yeah, you look at them. I don't do that. I don't look at myself and say, hey, there's my, my, my replacement there. I can't do that. I, I am not... Uh, a guy to look at other players and say, that's myself. I had my 22 years. I had it, and I'm proud of it. And I don't look into other guys. Uh, There was a kid out of Cincinnati, Eric Davis. uh, They tried to say, well, that's the next Willie Mays. And I talked to Eric, and I said to him, you can't be the next Willie Mays. you got to be the next Eric Davis. Because the reason for that is that if you don't put the numbers on the board, then what are you then? And I said, you just do what you have to do and try to do it well and forget all what they're talking about. Uh, I think sometime when, and I've seen this in three, four players, uh, I've seen it in a guy by the name of Cesar Sardinia. I've seen it in uh, the kid at Montreal, Andre Dawson. Okay, he got hurt. He couldn't put the numbers on the board like they, sh- they thought he was going to do. Uh, Andre uh, uh, Cesar is out of baseball now. So what, what I was trying to tell him, you don't know what's going to happen in this game. He's only been here two years, possibly three, I guess. And uh, let's let's play a little bit first, and and then start to comparing, uh, start to saying Eric Davis is Eric Davis, and don't worry about Willie Mays, you know. But you know, every year it's so tempting for those people who write sports for a living to say, every spring, every spring, it's so and so is the next Willie Mays. Oh, well, they got to pick something. That's 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 just nature that uh, the writers got to write something. They got you know they got to live too, and I understand that. I want him to understand that you know sometimes a kid can come along and he can say to himself well I'm just as good as the guy that played 22 years that's not going to happen that quickly uh, he may be good 
But in a sense, he's got to go 22 years and then sit down and look at the record. So uh, I think the writers are doing their jobs by doing you know the same thing every year. They pick a guy and they write about him and just sells papers. After the short break, Willie Mays talks about his ban from baseball, drug abuse in the majors, and night games at Wrigley Field. Now back to my 1988 interview with Willie Mays. You know, a few years back when Doc Ellis, I think I, I believe it was him, who said that he couldn't even remember pitching the no-hitter that he had pitched because he was so high that mm-hmm. game. How do you mm-hmm. manage to stay in the major leagues, such as you did for all those years, maintain the kind of statistics you did, and stay clean? Uh, I was very dedicated and devoted to what I did. I don't worry about what other people you know, do or what they take or whatever they do. That's, that's not my problem, and I can never stop that. Uh, that's going to be going on for centuries. I worry about me. I live baseball when I live. I, uh, my wife right now often says, hey, you love baseball more than you love me. But it was a job that I had to do, and I had to create a lot of things at night to do the next day. And uh, I felt that uh, I was devoted enough to try and do these things without even have to worry about other guys doing things. I agree with you. I think uh, we don't have enough role models now so that the kids that come along today and say, hey, I want to be like that other father said to their kids, I want my son to be like him. So I myself was very dedicated to uh, being me and doing things right for a long time. That doesn't mean I did everything right. Uh, of course, uh, over the period of 22 years, you got to do something wrong in life. Uh, you know, you just don't go that long without doing something. But overall, overall, uh, whatever I did wrong, the good came out overshadowing that. Is baseball a business more than a sport? I think it is. I think it's been a business for many, many years. Uh, anything that grows as much money as uh, baseball does, it's got to be a business, but it has a combination. But that's nothing to do with the player. The player should always have fun in playing. Then the money's going to come. The business should come after he received the money and try and, and put the money to use. This is what I didn't do. I learned this late on, and I wish I, I guess I wish I had went to college for four years and came out as a business administrator or something where uh, when I started receiving this money, I would know where to put it. But I, I didn't, and most ball players are like that. They go into baseball, they make a lot of money, they come out, and sometimes we got to raise money to you know keep them going. And uh, it's just a, a, a knack that we don't have the expertise to do these things right now and uh, I think the kids coming along today are beginning to get a little more polish on what to do with their money. Why has it taken you so long to write, as the Simon & Schuster News release said, the long-awaited autobiography? It strikes me if you were a star today, if you were a a 23, 24-year-old today, that your autobiography would be out today. Well, I I think you're wrong in that sense because... uh, when you're playing ball, why would, why would you want to write a book when you're playing ball and you have much more life to live? And I felt that uh, when I was playing ball, I uh, came into the business world and I uh, 
I wanted to write something that I feel that the fans would enjoy, not uh, something about my players, um, just about me in general. If you read the book, you'll find out that it's a really uh, nice book as far as myself. It's a business world that I'm into, and I think people that uh, know me want to know what am I doing after baseball, and I put that in there because I am a real... A believer in challenging. When I say challenging, I like projects. I like to do things daily. And I think uh, if you look at the chapters as you go, I'm challenging everywhere I go. And uh, uh, sometimes uh, when people say, oh, gee, my God, I didn't know what you know that he knew all that or he did all that. And that's what I tried to put in the book so the people to understand uh, myself, not anybody else. I, I didn't write the book to to harm anybody. I didn't write the book to tell things about people that uh, I guess didn't want to be told, uh, but that's not my thing. So what I tried to do is uh, involve myself more with the fans than uh, anything else. Would the tone of the book have been different if you had written it while you were still barred from baseball? Uh, I don't think so, because I never knocked baseball while I was out of baseball. I uh, said this to the commissioner when I was uh, going to Lang City, and uh, a lot of people said, why don't you sue? I said, no. I said, because baseball was very good to me, and I was good to baseball. And plus, baseball is uh, its number one pastime. You don't need people suing, uh, all that kind of junk. I I had a decision to make. I made it, and the commissioner made his uh, I think uh, by me not saying too much about the decision uh, got me back into baseball, I think. And, uh, of course, I wouldn't have had anything to say anyway because I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, just was going to a job, and I think I was allowed to uh, uh, make a living in that respect. And uh, the people at Lang City, uh, they wasn't going to explore me by any means. Uh, all I do is just do the PR work there. And uh, I think it's a wonderful thing that they can control Control what I do as far as baseball is concerned, and, and far as the young, you know, young kids are concerned. What do you think of night baseball at Wrigley Field? Should there be night baseball in Wrigley Field that was designed for day game? That it was the last bastion of day baseball. Let's go back to that. Everything have changed that you say have changed. Why shouldn't Wrigley Field change? Uh, you think Wrigley Field is going to stay the same? You think people are not trying to make a dollar? You think they're not going to say, hey, let's put in 50000 compared to 42000 I think uh, I don't think they're going to disturb the people. You take St. Louis, for instance, the ballpark is right downtown where all kinds of noise. You take Cincinnati, it's downtown. Uh, or Boston. I, or Boston or whatever. I think Everything is going to change, and I think it's going to change for the best. Uh, uh, sure, I, I think the ball players like to play at night, but then a uh, day game. But I think sometimes they want to have a little change there. They're not going to play, but I think 40 games there out of out of 82. That's not too many. Uh, they might play 20 games. I don't know, but uh, but that is a change coming in every aspect of it. And I don't see why it shouldn't be changed as far as regular field is concerned. Just because it's regular field, what is what is so special? that they can't have it change. And I, uh, every ballpark I've seen have lights, uh, but that, uh, I guess they tried to stop it. It's, a, ho- it's a holy shrine. <laughs> well, uh, if something uh, is involved, you try and correct it and you try and do the best you can as for the people that surround surrounding there. But 
I don't see any difference. They're gonna hit the same ball over there at night that they're gonna <laughs> hit it in the daytime. So what, what is what is big, the big problem? You know, the only difference is I guess Harry Carey won't get quite as sunburned. <laughs> oh, Harry Carey came from St. Louis. Now you know Harry Carey came. I know Harry way way back, and uh, uh, Harry. Uh, went to St. Uh, Chicago. He went to the White Sox first, and they came to the Cubs. So uh, Harry uh, was uh, a very – actually, he's been a very, very uh, dedicated man to the game. He he helped me out tremendous when I went to St. Louis when I first started playing when blacks couldn't stay together in the hotels. And Harry was one of the guys that used to carry us to the ballpark a lot of times. So I know Harry way, way back. He's a He's a – Actually, he is not a two-man team. He's only a one-man team. When he's with St. Louis, he couldn't talk nothing but St. Louis. Now he's at the Cubs. He, you think he's been there for life because that's the way Harry is. Willie Mays is 90 years old now. He's been in the Hall of Fame since 1979. And you can find easy Amazon links to Willie Mays' book at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure to listen to my interview with Hammerin' Hank Aaron. I started my baseball career in 1953 in the Negro American League. I made $200 a month. I got $2 a day for meal money. And a conversation with the major's last 30-game winner, Denny McLean. You've got to have everything in place every time you go out there to win 30. you got to be lucky. you got to get all the breaks. They've got to score runs for you early. All of those things will make you have a good year. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, television history was made 66 years ago this week with the premiere of what I freely admit is one of my all-time favorite situation comedies. So we'll hear my 1994 interview with, bang, Zoom, Alice Cramden herself, Audrey Meadows. They didn't go for a lot of little jokes. They let us work up to what I would call a big belly laugh that would bring applause from the audience. I mean, they were powerful lines. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.